Welcome to the Culture Design Show, where we feature conversations with leaders and thinkers who are passionate about culture and design. Now, let's get started with the show. This podcast is brought to you by Culture Design Studio. This is where I help creative organizations transform their cultures from being controlling to being collaborative. Now, here are some of the things that I've learned. Your creative talent demands a co-creative culture in order to produce their best work. But there's a problem. Now, let's see if you can recognize some of these signs. There's no framework to move your culture forward. You have high turnover and low morale. There's increasing toxicity across all levels. There's team engagement and satisfaction that are on the decline. There's a misalignment between the employer brand and the employee experience. And there's poor communication about expectations and values. So if you want to learn more about how I provide facilitation and coaching for your creative team, reach out to me at culturedesignstudio.com. Our guest today is Alicia Banks-Gabriel. She is the VP of Talent and Culture at One and All, a creative agency which helps raise $4 million for the world's most important social causes every single day. Previously, she served as the Director of Talent Management Strategy at Publicis Spine. But at her core, Alicia is a creator of joy. Her passion for people, collaboration, and culture has led her to this point in her career, focusing on developing talent and culture at one and all. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Steve. So happy to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. We met about a year and a half ago. We were both at an event. And uh, there was, I don't know what it was, but there was a, a response that you gave to one of the questions that really intrigued me about your perspective. And uh, we, we had a, a good conversation after the event there. Then we've had some good conversations thereafter. And I really was intrigued by, you know, the things that you've said and the way you think about culture and talent, especially in the creative world, which is the world that you you've worked in. So I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Oh, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Well, one of the things I'd love for the folks to hear about is your professional journey. I'd love to hear about that sort of narrative arc, whether it was intentional or not in terms of how you, you know, where, how you've arrived to where you're at. But I, I think, you know, if, if, if uh, if the stories of guests in the past have have you know set somewhat of a precedent, I would imagine right. that it's been somewhat of a discovery, uh, a, a journey of self discovery. So, what does that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, I uh, started my career at Anomaly, which is one of the most creative ad agencies in the world. Uh, and not to brag, you know, <laughs> you can brag. And big shout out to Anomaly, um, one of the most creative and disrupting ad agencies. Um, they had changed the business model from, you know, timesheets to let's talk about revenue share. Mm. And um, I just found that fascinating. And so as a 21 year old during a, a, a recession, I walked in with all the energy and positivity and, and just motivation I could. And I said, I have to work here. Mm. And, um, they put me to work and they liked me. And after freelancing for some time, they, they hired me on, um, working in the account, the account area. 
And um, from there, um, you know, social media started blooming Mm -hmm. for brands, uh, Twitter, Facebook pages and things like that. And I ended up finding myself teaching the CEO of Coca-Cola how to tweet. Oh, wow. That's awesome. From a BlackBerry. I didn't realize they had access to Twitter on a BlackBerry. I know, right? Back in the day. Um, But yeah, it was a a very interesting time to be in in creative advertising and being able to then apply some some strategy frameworks and things like that and start building, um, a strategy capability within the ad agency, um, was more of a focus. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself doing that more. And from anomaly, I then moved to a fragrance brand called the cloud break group, where we would get licenses from like the New York Yankees and Isaac Mizrahi. And we would just create uh, from fragrance to bottle to campaign to selling to Macy's and things. So I had an account foundation, a strategy uh, interest, and then began really doing um, some sales, merchandising, um, full campaign um, strategy there. And um, then went to Berlin Cameron for more account management, mm-hmm. uh, roles, but the, the common theme through all of this was none of those agencies had an HR department. Mm. Are you serious? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Not a single, uh, not a single one, you know, typically the CFO or the, the finance team would really lead, you know, payroll and anything related to employees. And so, uh, I found it really interesting when Havas called me to join their global talent team, because I said, what the heck is a talent team? What, what is this? And, um, finally became, uh, aware of the shift in the industry to focus on people, mm-hmm. um, investing in people, understanding how people best work, uh, to get the best work out of them for, you know, the clients and at the end of the day, the consumer. So I jumped at that opportunity and had the best time. We created some of the most incredible global campaigns uh, or programs for our talent, including uh, Havas Lofts, where we would send uh, a group of high performers uh, to a new city mm-hmm. and sit on a new team for a new perspective culturally and, and work-wise. And so um, that job really sparked within me uh, an interest in, in needing to help people Uh, be motivated and engaged in their job and on the company side, making sure that you're providing career growth and opportunities for people to realize their dreams. Because the more that you can individualize uh, talent, uh, the, the more that people will appreciate and be loyal to your company. Um, so just, just like anything in life, the more you put in the, the more you get out. Mm -hmm. And so I've put all my heart and soul into caring about people, um, so that they can care about the work that they do for our incredible clients. Yeah, that, that's pretty, pretty awesome. And and I think that's a very similar thing that I've heard from a lot of, whether you call them people or talent uh, leaders, in the industry that 
a lot of times they they didn't start in HR. Like they weren't the the master's degree toting, toting HR folks that they came into it because of a of a passion for people. Or if it was just even if it wasn't necessarily an intentional move, it was an opportunistic move um, that people just fall you know in love with the the role especially as you said if this wasn't something that was very prevalent in the industry at a certain point but then there was a shift you know even the use of the word talent uh, versus say people or hr is a very decisive move in, in my my opinion because it's also in you know uh, kind of giving homage to the creative folks in the industry saying, you know what, you deserve a different moniker or we deserve a different perspective. What what can you share about that? Because I, I think that's very distinct uh, that people would use in the creative world, that term talent versus another term. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so many thoughts on this. Um, First and foremost, you know, you're hitting the nail on the head, you know, especially in in creative advertising, our, our people are, um, um, they certainly deserve a different moniker as, as you've mentioned. So, um, I think that largely is a part of it, but also just, you know, HR in general, we have so many hats. We mm-hmm. wear so many hats that it's just, it runs the gamut. Yeah. And being able to <clears throat> then focus your um, strategy on talent and culture helps you and anyone who may read that title or understand that department would then be able to understand. Um, oh, they're much more taking a much more strategic approach to how they view their human resources, Mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's much more about, um, strategically looking at the management, the development, the growth, and, um, ultimately the appreciation for, um, talent that, that, title of the department lends itself to. Yeah. And I always, um, well, our, our current position at one and all is our talent is our culture. And right. so the more that we focus on our talent, the, the, the more that our, our culture, uh, cultivates itself. So how, how do you think for yourself, because I think your example of having come up through account, uh, leadership or account management, doing strategy, uh, I, that's, I, I, some other guests who are saying your similar role at other firms have kind of taken that, that, that path. How has that helped you? Do you feel in your role of understanding what it means to lead clients, lead, lead accounts, understand the strategic side of things? How has that helped you in your role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, specifically on the account side, I would say that, I directly uh, apply it to my role in the sense that I believe I have 200 over 200 clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we yeah. have over 200 employees at one and all. I have over 200 clients. I need to check in with them. I need to know that they're doing okay. I need to provide tools and, and playbooks and really um, break them up into segments to understand, um, you know, their, their experience and their journey so that we can find different, um, you know, 
resistors or, or, um, points of enjoyment and how to amplify or, or take away those resistors. And so I certainly uh, apply, you know, uh, account management in the sense of, of building a relationship uh, as much as possible with every single individual and then strategically looking at um, the relationship and different tools and things that we can help to improve their experience overall. So I, I love that perspective and it's a very much of a multidisciplinary almost perspective of, of just HR or talent. Um, the, the danger though, I think in some cases is that um, the VP or the, the head people and talent person is the champion. And so and in some ways the, uh, the sole nurturer of that perspective um, how can we ensure that that perspective is adopted by all senior leadership in a in an agency and then it flows down or if it goes from the bottom up? How do we how do we ensure that that perspective is is agency wide? Yeah, absolutely. It certainly um, in, in our case starts with our executive leadership team and uh you know, to be honest and not to brag, but <laughs> we have some of the greatest leaders on earth in our, our time of living on this earth at one and all. I have never met a greater group of servant leaders who just every day consider everyone's thoughts, feelings, lives before they consider you know, other aspects of the business. So for example, um, you know, Denise Wong, our CEO, she is in constant communication, um, leading with transparency and helping people know that the ELT is there. We're on teams, we're on email, here's our cell phone numbers, you know, please, if you have any concerns or need anything ever, reach directly out to us at any point in time. And because we on the executive leadership team embody that spirit on a very consistent basis, then it, it drives or motivates our team leaders to do it as well. Um, so especially during this work from home and, and mm -hmm. COVID experience, um, we've been really focused on flexibility and making sure that everyone is focused on their, their mental health and wellness, um, during this time. And, you know, uh, obviously we have our, our time off and our sick pay and all of, all of the elements, um, and, and benefits and resources that people have to use. And so we constantly communicate that. And I've heard from so many employees that they've been, um, they've been heard mm -hmm. and they've been able to work out individually their own schedule with their managers and, and, um, you know, work around, um, you know, with children, uh, school schedules, yeah. for example, yeah. <laughs> and things like that. So it's, uh, it's true. It, I have certainly been at places where that has not yeah. happened that way. And so I am so grateful <laughs> 
<laughs> to be a part of an organization where it truly um, the the leadership truly walks the walk and that and talks the talk. You know. Well, that's great to hear, and I think we need to definitely. Uh bring those stories to light, those sort of agency leadership stories, not to light, but to, to share those, to celebrate those in the industry as uh, hopefully shining examples of how things can be. Uh, yes, how things should be, but let's just say how they can be. Um, because I think uh, in these tough times of, you know, that we find ourselves in, I think that leadership, that cream of, of the top, the, the cream of the cream uh, has definitely risen to the top in terms of leadership. So maybe let's take a, sh- a shift in our conversation. I know if we look back over, we're in the middle of August or October right now. And, uh, you know, we look back at the last seven months and we say, oh, my gosh, it seems like seven years. 2020 has been an eventful year, and that's to put it mildly, and, and others would maybe use a, a stronger term and say 2020 has sucked, and maybe even stronger than that. Um, so what what have you seen as kind of like uh, sort of pervasive attitudes about the year and perspectives, and, and, and what are your thoughts about that, and how can we maybe reframe that? Yeah. Um, I, I love this question. Um, I think there is a, a lot of group think happening, right? Um, someone says, oh, I'm tired or, oh, you know, yet another thing has happened. Right. And then it just snowballs. Mm -hmm. And I have noticed here and there, um, leaders from, you know, all facets of the organization and outside of our organization who have taken a different twist on it and, and saying things like, well, look at how much we've overcome. Mm -hmm. Um, everyone that I've spoken with at, at one and all, there is a resounding, uh, theme, which is there is literally nothing we cannot do if we do it together. Mm, That's awesome. And I just, it's, it's a rallying cry. It makes you feel so supported, so motivated. So, you know, bring it on 2020, (laughs) you know, there's still 11 weeks left in this godforsaken year, but (laughs) stay positive and think about, um, all, all the good that has happened. Let's not forget about that, you know, and let's not dwell on the things that, you know, we don't have control over. Let's realize that it's our attitude that gets us through day by day. And that makes our character who we are Mm -hmm. so that we can literally overcome anything. Yeah, I think it's been somewhat of a journey. If you think of almost like, uh, I mean, I had a couple of guests on a a while back and we talked about sort of um, maybe all of mankind uh, going through this season of collective grief, you know, grieving the old. And I think that there was, you know, in in a sense, we could even adopt the adage of uh, misery loves company in terms of when something bad happens, you know, the fact that we can get together on a group Zoom call and kind of just vent. Uh, there, There is something cathartic about that. But after, you know, seven months of that, I think Oh, man, like I, I get that we're we're in this tough spot, 
but can we actually find something good? Like I'm tired of just wallowing in pity. Um, let's, let's, and I, so I think that perspective of, you know, let's be grateful for the things that have happened well. And I definitely look at my own personal and professional life and can, can think of a ton of things that have gone well. And I almost think of it maybe to, to your, maybe using it even a, a different language of like, um, w- how can we reframe our, our relationship with 2020? Yes, exactly. And I'll tell you too, my favorite thing, um, that is a very easy thing that anyone can do. And that's to give someone a compliment. Mm. People need encouragement right now. Even if it's just, you know, oh, I like that blouse that you're wearing on this, you know, 7,000 team Zoom call that we're on, you know, or wow, that email was really great, you know, well, very well put together and communicated, you know, mm, yeah. smallest bit of compliment can go the longest way right now. Well, I think we need to hear that message more. I mean, I think even, uh, you know, even for you, a three sentence uh, purpose statement of I create joy, you know, is a wonderful thing, you know, regardless of whatever profession you're in, whatever role you're in, whatever kind of conversation you're a part of to find ways to create joy. And I, I, I mean, I, I'll be honest, like there have been seasons in this long season of, of the last seven months where I've said, I do need to recapture that joy in my life, whether it's spiritual, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, emotional, recapturing that joy has been, you know, a real desire. And sometimes I get there um, and I feel I'm there right now, but um, there's been some really low points. So, I mean, let's, let's use that as maybe another kind of topic. Like how can we, you gave an example of just, you know, complimenting people uh, about emails or different things that they've done. What are some ways that you sought to either create joy in your own personal life or in your professional life? Um, well, in my personal life, I clean my house constantly, <laughs> <laughs> which makes me feel a lot better. Um, and professionally, these these moments where I get to connect with people who I highly respect and mm-hmm. care about and love, um, you know, discussing theories and, mm. and thinking about things. Um, that is so joyous to me because, you know, so much of the day is emailing video calls, you know, it, it gets, it gets to be wearing. And especially when here's, here's a big tip too. If you have, uh, a ding on for, you know, your emails mm-hmm. or your yeah. phone calls and things like that. Turn that noise yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah, for <laughs> you sure. Don't that sound every time an email comes in, it's just, it shocks your system, you know? And you, sometimes you just immediately go to this negative feeling like, Oh, what now? You know? And so if you can control as much as possible, um, those things that make you feel like, Oh, what now? Um, and, and, and save them, you know, block time in your calendar for, Oh, what now things, um, yeah. the, the more you have control over your, your feelings and, and your well-being. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I, I think a topic for me that has come up even in some of the, the groups that I'm a part of, like, say, uh, a, say a, a church group that we get together, you know, we call it a life group. And it's just a basically a support group that we get together every week. And we um, and one of the themes that has come up there has been this this theme of manage your energy, yes. of manage what grabs your attention, manage what grips your heart. Uh, manage a lot of those different things. And so to your point about notifications, I've definitely had to turn those off. I've even, I've turned every single notification off on my phone. I have deleted certain social media apps that if I really need to go to that particular account, I do it on my desktop so that I'm not constantly getting stuff like LinkedIn and Instagram or my, like, <laughs> I got to stay away from those things because I'm constantly on those things. And I actually heard a stat that said something to the effect of anytime you get some sort of notification, it takes mm -hmm. you like 20 minutes to get back on track. Yes. And so, I mean, those notifications, it, it, they, they are some really big things. And so I think managing your attention, managing your emotions, there's a lot of things out there in the world uh, that could grip your heart and probably justifiably so. But in some cases we need to, this is not my time to think about that. Right. It's not that it's not important. I just cannot think about that. I will allow myself a different part of the day to focus on some of those things, whether it's global, political uh, familial, whatever, um, we have to really manage our energy because there's so much that is grabbing at us right now. And draining every single one of those things is like a, a tap into our energy. And we have to look, okay, I'm going to turn that off, turn that off, turn that off for now. Yeah. It's been a really interesting journey of understanding that. Right. Well, one of the things I also want to talk about is, um, when I talk about, uh, trust with leaders, mm. um, I've had some folks that are, you know, some leaders, some executive leaders at some of these creative firms that, uh, you know, they run the gamut in terms of how they approach trust. Uh, on one hand, they have no problem, you know, trusting folks that they're going to do their work. On the other end, uh, you've got some of these micromanagers uh, that uh, were used to peering over the shoulder of their teams, making sure that they did the work. And now that you know, at the even at the beginning of this whole thing, uh, the the anxiety and and the mistrust that was revealed um, by saying, "Oh man, I have like I, how do I know that they're pulling in a, a f eight hours of billable work uh, in their day uh, or whatever it was?" What has been your approach to trust and 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 the ramifications or the what does that lead to in, in work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I also love this question. Um, you're making me recall the HR hackathon that the Disrupt HR group um, uh, put on a few months ago. And in that uh, hackathon, my, my team, um, we were trying to think around, you know, mental health in the workplace and the conversation led to, well, the expectations haven't changed. So we're still expected to deliver, deliver, deliver. Yeah. yeah. And now with layoffs, with client budgets being slashed, we are asked to do more with less. And when your constraints are that tight, 
there are bound to be mistakes. And so I always try, um, and I like to think that I, (laughs) I deliver, um, lead with empathy. And so what that means is having open communication, uh, specifically with my, um, my direct team and making sure that they know what my expectations are. You know, I, I need this at this date, but then also letting them know, you know, why I need it. Yeah. You know, um, making sure that I'm communicating the full picture to them, um, and, and letting them know and in on, if you will, what the grander scheme is so that they have some skin in the game. Yeah. Well, so that they know the impact that they're driving with what it is that they're working on. So there's a piece of that. And then when it comes to, um, you know, the constraints as well, there are obviously risks when you're doing the same, if not more Mm -hmm. with less people and, and less budget to deliver it. And those risks uh, tend to result in mistakes. And so you have to have that conversation of, you know, this was a mistake and that's okay. You know, um, I do not believe in, you know, uh, there are certainly some attitudes and and some heightened uh, emotions during this time that we find ourselves in, but the the more that you can be understanding, um, the, the more your team will be able to, uh, understand to not do it in a certain way like that again in the future. One of my favorite sayings, uh, and this is by an unknown author is, uh, look at how much we failed. That's how smart we've become. Mm. So I like to live by that all at the same time, by the way, that, um, you know, things get lost, balls get dropped Mm -hmm. and you have to find the best way for your team to feel comfortable and not micromanaged while also staying on the same page. Mm -hmm. And there are enormous amounts of information out there from objectives and key results, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very formalized frameworks for you to use, um, you know, uh, a, Caban, uh, Caban (laughs) graph, you know, uh, to do later done, you know, whatever it is that works best for your team so that they know that you trust them, uh, and that you can see work getting done as it's getting done without having to check in on them every second of the day. Yeah. I, I think is, is an excess, uh, success, successful way to go about it. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think one of the, the things that we're seeing is that, uh, you know, people are working, have different ways of working, you know, uh, especially now that we're from home and, you know, we're at the work, typical work days, eight hours, but did we really get even before COVID eight hours of solid work in, uh, even more so now. Um, and I think, uh, you know, some people work better in the morning. Some people might want to divide up their day into two chunks because they have kids and they want to, you know, do some, you know, take care of those things or have other commitments. And, you know, I've heard stories of, you know, even the idea of, oh, yes, on Zoom calls, we would prefer to have everybody have their cameras on. But mm-hmm. did you know that that person who has their camera on has a, an epileptic dad? 
who may have, you know, you don't know what's ever going to happen. So she would rather just, and so there's all these different things that uh, I think having compassion as well as trust um, is, uh, is something to think about. What is something that you guys have done to kind of account for that? Um, or what is something that you're exploring? One, uh, the way, and one of the biggest ways that we're approaching this is um, a flex plan that our executive leadership team um, has introduced in the last few weeks. And this was spearheaded by Denise Wong, our, our CEO. And so she introduced a flex plan that will go through June 2021, um, at the very least, mm-hmm. if you know, um, we will be uh, reevaluating it throughout the next few months, but in this flex plan, um, there are certain questions that managers and employees are having around, you know, what's your, your best schedule? How do we, um, best work together? Um, again, you know, what's that kind of status sheet that we can stay on the same page, mm-hmm. uh, without you feeling like I'm, I'm micromanaging you. And, um, all of this, right. Is, is open communication. And so, we're just providing the guidance for um, facilitating that conversation between managers and employees to get at an agreeable place where um, folks can feel trusted and, and be trusted to deliver on their work, regardless of what their home situation or their COVID situation may be. And a large part of this too is, um, you know, in our business, we talk a lot about self-awareness, right? And a a large part of self-awareness is um, actually awareness of other people. And that your experience is not by any means the same experience from from other people. And so the more that we can have self-awareness and emotional intelligence and lead with that, uh, the better our people, the better the work, the better the business. Mm. So that's, um, was the antithesis, if you will. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that it, it, as far as that date of, of June of 2021, is that something that you're seeing echoed or, or as kind of like an industry wide sentiment of like, we think that, or is it just something, a decision kind of like a, 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 a pin in the calendar that has been placed by leadership? Yeah, well, we're uh, we're so lucky to have Denise. She's um, she's working from home with a young child, and so she picked June because it's the end of the school year. <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense. Absolutely, <laughs> she's a smart cookie. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes total sense from a from a parent perspective. Everything revolves around our our children's calendar. I mean, my daily calendar is basically based on. When I have to take my my young son, my young new high schooler to cross country practice every day, so yes, wow. that's awesome. Well, I, I wanted wanted to get your and maybe as a last topic to think to talk about is uh, what are your thoughts about the the length of the workday? Mm. So the length of the workday um, is is super interesting, especially now. Um, you know, we've we've seen a lot of reporting come out, right, from Harvard Business Review, Deloitte, PwC, all of these uh, wonderful uh, consulting companies, if you will. And so they're releasing reports that are focused on, you know, how work is getting done during this uh, work from home experience, and they've noticed that. 
the workday has extended by at least 45 minutes mm -hmm. on average. Wow. And um, they've also pointed out that in, you know, survey, surveying folks, they responded saying, well, I don't feel like I've gotten as much work done. So my day is longer. I'm not getting as much work done. And they digged even further and found, well, emails are a lot more emails are being sent and they're a lot longer. And obviously video calls and phone calls, those have uh, taken over <laughs> all of our yeah. lives. Yeah. And so it's um, it's interesting when you pull this information together because you realize, oh, well, we're not side by side anymore. And so when we're not side by side, it's it's difficult to communicate and email and video and phone calls. All of these are pieces of communication. And so what um, we've been doing with this information is focusing on our managers um, and helping them, um, you know, either revamp or re-understand communication skills, effective communication skills. You know, do you actually need to have that meeting? Yeah. Are you writing the email in a way that everyone can understand? Are you focusing on the audience um, that is receiving the email? You know, these certain elements of, of communication, because the idea is the, the more effective that our, our managers are communicating, hopefully, you know, the more efficient we will be, the more effective their work will be. And so to kind of uh, meet the moment of this data, if you will, mm -hmm. to try to bring that day down, try to make sure that people are delivering on their goals for that day um, uh, and, and having it focused on their, their communication skills is, is how we've been trying to address. <laughs> yeah. That's a very important insight. Like I wouldn't have thought, like I, I definitely understand the, the extended workday and I understand that output just on average would be down even despite that extended workday. But I, I never would have gotten the insight that you just shared about. It's really about ineffective communication because of emails, you know, uh, whereas before, if we are side by side, you can ask a quick question, get instant reply. But now we're writing emails and we're waiting almost like refresh, 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 waiting for that response back. But if someone's on a Zoom call, they can't necessarily do that. So that's very interesting of like, what are some ways for us to hack, not just hack and make it quicker, but more effective, yeah. uh, more effective communication. Well, and two, you'll, you'll find a lot of reports out there. Well, um, over, I believe, 76%, something, 98% of stats are made up on the, on the spot, right? Um, <laughs> wide majority of people who are multitasking, right? And so instead of being in a room now in front of each other, and, yeah. you know, it'd be very obvious if you're on your computer rather than paying attention right. to the being in the room, yeah. uh, you can sit here and write emails and, and texts and tweets and things just from your computer. And I'm just looking at the screen and you think, you think nothing of it. And so the, the multitasking has multiplied. And of course that takes away your attention when you're doing 50% on one thing and 50% on the other, you're, you know, only half yeah. assy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, I, I've been guilty definitely because I'm a person that type that wears his thoughts on his face. And, uh, if I'm like, you know, kind of bantering back and forth with someone on Slack during a meeting, it totally shows on my face. And the, you know, whoever's leading the meeting is like, uh, Steve, like 
You want to share <laughs> share with the group? Uh, like, yeah. And, in you know, and so that definitely happens. I can definitely see how our, our attention is, is bifurcated, if not more by different things that multitasking. Yeah. Some very mm-hmm. interesting things. I think those are all interesting dynamics that we're all facing, I think. Um, but these are to your point earlier, uh, I think with all the challenges that we have faced and are facing in 2020, we have definitely learned a lot. Um, and I guess maybe the last question, even though I didn't have it planned, the last question might be like, what are some important lessons that you're going to take from 2020 that you are going to, that you are determined to say, we're going to take those into the post COVID world? Um, first and foremost, bring your authentic self to work. Mm. I think it's so easy to say that and so hard to actually um, deliver on that. I am in a very serious position, right? But I'm also a very joyous yeah. person. Yeah. And I think um, I've in the past had a lot of feedback, if you will, you know, well, why are you laughing, you know, uh, at this or, mm. you know, you, you need to be more serious and, and, you know, different types of feedback like that. And um, it's somewhat disheartening to get those pieces of feedback because you can't change something like that. Yeah. If you, change something like that, that changes, you know, the core of the person. Obviously I'm very serious when I need to be serious, but I like to always try to inspire and encourage and help people through their problems. And a large part of that is joy. Mm -hmm. And that is just who I am. And I bring my authentic self to work every day. And I do everything in my power to encourage my team to bring their authentic self to, to work. And I will do everything in my power to continue that um, post COVID, you know, because we can imagine right now, we can imagine a world where we just go back and just revert how things were before. But, you know, if you want to wear some, you know, uh, leopard leggings, you know, as an HR, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> change the dress code, you know, yeah. change the dress code, change the, you have, you have to be butt in the seat at 8.30 a.m. five days a week, you know, there, it's not realistic, you know, if you want the best talent doing the best work, you need to learn from the moment that we're in and apply the, the things that have been successful um, in the post-COVID world, for sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's the lesson for sure that, you know, obviously bringing your authentic self. And I think uh, I think there's different facets to that is bringing the good, the vibrant, the the beautiful parts of our, our, our being and our personalities. But also I also think being authentic is also being vulnerable right? It's about, you know, here are some things that, uh, that I'm struggling with and, and being able to ask for help and, and seeking and giving compassion uh, in those kind of like uh, weaker moments. But that's also bringing your, your total self to the table uh, as well. So I love that. I, that's definitely something I, I do hope 
that we will take, you know, our learnings into this po- new post-COVID world, whatever that looks like. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Well, thank you so much, folks. We've been speaking with Alicia Banks, Gabriel, VP of Talent and Culture at One and All. Alicia, if people want to reach out to you to learn more about your work or the work of One and All, where can they do that? LinkedIn would be best. I'm uh, on there as Alicia Banks Gabriel. So feel free to uh, find me on LinkedIn. Um, also, Alicia.Banks hyphenated Gabriel at oneandall.com. That's my email address. Feel free to ping me there. Um, apologies for the hyphenated name. My parents fight so much, they decided <laughs> to give me both of their last names. All right. There you go. That's awesome. <laughs> But yeah, I, I would love to to hear from anyone and everyone, uh, you know, just uh, picking brains or looking for jobs or wanting to discuss anything. I I love meeting people and I I just I I love hearing people's experiences and trying to work through the challenges that they find themselves in. Well, thank you, Alicia. It's been a, an honor to have you on the show. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Culture Design Show. We'll see you again next time. Be sure to click subscribe to get future episodes. And while you're at it, feel free to leave a review of the podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.